welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode 38, in which we are going to discuss the topic of women written by men and men written by women. Do we like them or not? Um, it sounds very random, but I'm sure we'll come up with some very <laughs> specific examples. Um, and then we are going to pick two novels which are about old age and living in a care home. Um, Elizabeth Taylor by Mrs. Puff. Uh, no, Mrs. Puffy at the Claremont. I've written this down wrong. Mrs. Puffy at the Claremont. It's been a long day, people who are listening. Yeah, but get ready fun. for more of the same people. Yeah. I've been, on, I've been on a school trip with year sevens today. That's all I'm saying. That's why I'm so tired. Um, Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont by Elizabeth Taylor and um, At the Jerusalem by Paul Bailey. So we're going to be talking about those and uh, there, there are going to be some strong opinions involved. Mm, people who listened to the last episode may already have a clue what those might be, but let's not yeah. get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so. so Simon, how are you? What are you reading? I'm good, thanks. I'm looking forward to the bank holiday weekend, although mm-hmm. it will be over by the time this episode goes live, I suspect, <laughs> so, um, because I think it'll be <laughs> during the... Yes, it will. Um, it probably would have rained, won't it? Well, the forecast is saying sun for Oxford, but I don't believe it. No. Um, um, I am. I've just started um, the Sleeper Awakes by H. G. Wells. Oh, okay. Uh, have you read that or slash anything by him? I have. I've only read Anne and Veronica. I think I haven't read anything else. Well, that's one to keep an eye on for the next section, which is when we're talking. But um, <laughs> but yes, I have only read the Time Machine. Um, but you may recall a while ago I read a book about H.G. Wells written by his children's governors. So, <laughs> so I thought, now I've crossed that one off, it's time to <laughs> go back to his novels. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've done the essential. <laughs> Only you would say that. He's <laughs> uh, really fun. I can't, um, anyway, yeah, I... I um, am taking part in a science fiction week at Volpis Libras, um, and um, I don't read a lot of science fiction. And <laughs> um, I bought this one in Norfolk a few years ago, and because I thought it sounded like a fun concept, it's about. Well, I thought it's about a guy who wakes up and discovers that everyone else is dead, but it turns out it's not. It's a but it's a guy who wakes up after sleeping for two hundred years. Um, oh wow! I'm not very far in. So far, he's just woken up, and there's lots of people in robes wandering around, but. Um, Right. Although, although one of the first things that happened is that someone was trying, asking him what robe he wanted to wear and, and showed it with a, a screen and people um, sort of rotating on it in, in the different coloured robes. And it's this very futuristic thing that is basically an iPad. <laughs> so, so well done, <laughs> HGWells, for that one. Let's see what else he's wow. predicted. Yeah, amazing. How about you? What are you reading? Um, well, I'm currently halfway through Don't Tell Alfred by Nancy Mitford. Hmm. I'm about in the process of um, moving yet again. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to read all of the books that I haven't read so I can just, uh, all the ones that I think I'm not sure if I'm going to want to keep them or not so that I can get rid of them before I move so I don't have to lug them all across London with me. Um, so far, I'm not decided whether this is going to be a keeper or not. Okay. Yeah, I'm finding with Nancy Mitford, the ones outside of the main sort of love in a cold climate, pursuit of love, etc., they always start really well, and then they're just a bit too long, and they start to flag in the middle. You know when the jokes start to wear thin a bit? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so I've got to the point now where the jokes are wearing thin, and I'm just like, yeah, this isn't actually funny anymore. Everyone's just really annoying. And also, I I kind of, 
I don't believe that people used to be like this, but I kind of <laughs> believe that they probably did in Mitford's world. So, um, yeah, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit annoyed with it, but I'm going to plough until the end. Um, <laughs> and then I don't know what I'm going to read next, but I've, I've just had a run of really good reading. So this is the first book I've read that I haven't felt super enthusiastic about, actually. Oh, I often always say that, doesn't it? You're either you like you read a book that's the first really good one you've read for a while, or the first not really good one you've read for a while. It is the difference is very striking. It is indeed. And I do sometimes feel if I read three or four books in a row that aren't great, I'm like, did I ever like reading? Are books ever <laughs> good? And then it's like, oh no, wait, this one's brilliant. Okay, yes, it's all back to normal. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, wow. Yes, first of all, thanks to uh, Keisha, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, for suggesting this topic, men written by women versus women written by men. Mm. Um, and you've mentioned one already. In fact, you've mentioned a couple, I suppose. I did, well, I've not read either Anne Veronica or Don't Tell Alfred, but presumably Anne and Alfred loom heavily. Can one loom well, heavily? No, in Don't Tell Alfred, Alfred is a very minor character. Oh, really? Um, it's Fanny that is the main character, who is the Fanny from Love in a cold climate and the pursuit of love. Oh, I didn't realise that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Alfred is her husband who is the uh, professor of pastoral theology at Oxford and then suddenly becomes um, ambassador to France for no particular reason. <laughs> We've all been there, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An ambassadorship should become a surprise, pleasant or unpleasant as the case may be. Yes, exactly. Veronica <laughs> absolutely is a very interesting, it's a new woman novel for people who don't know, so it's written in the 1890s and um, it is H.G. Wells writes the novel um, about this young woman, Anne Veronica, who is a free spirit and um, wants to get educated and stuff, but um, in the end gets married, which uh, I think we studied, I studied at university and all of us were quite annoyed by that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking sort of, let's start broadly, like I was trying to think whether, like, sort of how uncommon these these sorts of novels are and if whether it's changed particularly. Mm. Um and I was just sort of sitting, looking at my bookshelves, trying to think of examples in my, in, whilst I was noting, making my notes beforehand, as I, as I usually do, and as Rachel oh. may or may not do. <laughs> 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 I'm guessing based on your usual, having completely forgotten what we're talking about before we start, that you may be doing. <laughs> Simon! Uh, <laughs> giving away the secrets. Um, but, yes, it, it does seem that generally, if, particularly if it's a first person, um, narrator, but even if it's not, that women will write about women and men will write about men as, mm. the, as the main characters, with the exception of some of the earliest novels like Pamela and Clarissa and things where it yes. where, uh, sort of started off with lots of anything went, I guess. But um, but yes, gradually, even from the classics, you know, Charles Dickens tended to write about men, Jane Austen tended to write women, etc. Up to present day, it seems to be. Ooh. Oh. That's us, Michael. I'm going off. We'll come back in a second. <laughs> right, I'm back. <laughs> what was I saying? I don't know. I was distracted by it. I was like, oh, I hope someone's not going to die. Well, <laughs> yeah, like, you'll hear it happen as I asphyxiate. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was yeah, just saying that... You saying it... about older novels tended to be... Oh, yeah, so, yes. Um, and through today, you, yeah, you normally accept women to write about women and men to... Right, and it's more sort of an event, or it's notable if it if it isn't like that. Mm. Um, and I guess there's sort of two questions as uh, before we go into who does it better, um, men or women, but um, whether we think it should be more like that, or if it's 
if we don't think there is a sort of should or not about it, what do you think? Well, I think it's an interesting question, and it's it's actually something that I've talked about a lot with um, people at work lately because there's been a big thing with young adult fiction at the moment where um, there's a big argument in America about how people who aren't people of colour shouldn't be writing um, about people of colour and people mm-hmm. who aren't um, LGBT shouldn't be writing about people who are LGBT because they can't possibly experience what it's like to be them. And I, we were talking about, well, does that count for gender? Um, and I think it's quite an interesting argument to say, well, only women can know what it's like to be a woman, only men can know what it's like to be men, and therefore only they can write about it and be realistic. But my argument with that is always, well, you know, that's like saying, well, all women are exactly the same and have exactly the same experiences, and likewise for men. Um, and I think actually it's really limiting to say that people are incapable of imagining what it's like to to view things from the perspective of a woman or you know or a man and I think when you're creating a character you're creating a very specific person Mm, um, with their own specific character traits and who approaches the world in their own way and I don't think really whether that person is the same gender as you or not should affect how realistic that character is so it doesn't bother me at all actually and I find it really interesting when reading novels um, where the gender of the author is not the same as the character. I mean, I suppose from my perspective, if I'm reading a book by a woman that's writing about a man, um, I don't know if it's realistic or not because I'm not a man. Um, <laughs> and I can't say I've ever read a book by a man where uh, that's written about a woman where I thought, oh, no, this is, you know, this is so unrealistic. This is never what a woman would say. I've never felt that way. Yeah. Um, to get back to what you're saying about the sort of debate that's been going mm. on, I, yeah, I've been reading things about that as well. Um, and you know, as a as a white man, I don't particularly want to weigh in because I think my role should probably be to to listen more than to you know <laughs> get on a soapbox. But I I do find slightly troubling the idea of censorship in the suggesting that people should only write about their you know gender, ethnicity, sexuality, whatever. Mm. Because like say I'm going to pick up a book by a, a white man, let's say say Ian McEwan. Do I want every single character <laughs> in that book to be Ian McEwan? <laughs> Do I want every single character to be like I wouldn't want to read a book where everyone was the same uh, gender, ethnicity, age, whatever. Like it would just be quite boring if that was all that someone was supposed to be able to write about. And there's something like I remember there's a bit furry around Members of a Geisha by is it Arthur Golden who wrote that. Yes, it um, I just, well, I've seen the film, but I haven't actually read the book. But um, where it seems to be usurping the territory where someone else could have written a more authentic book. And I sort of, I guess, it, if it seems to be damaging or if it's like, if it's trying to, I don't know, if it feels like it's um, usurping a space in that way, then perhaps that's, that's one thing. But in general, I don't know, the logical extreme of it is that every book would just be an autobiography. Well, exactly. I mean, writing is a creative, writing fiction is a creative process and it's an imaginative process and it's about people embodying people who are not them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that goes in every single way from your sexuality, from your gender, from your race, from your religion. You should be able to, you know, we're all, well, most of us are empathetic people. And I think it's ridiculous to say that it's impossible for you to imagine what it's like to be somebody else. Um, and I would, I love reading about, 
you know people characters that are complete polar opposites of of the people who are writing the book and like I say I mean I've never read anything where I've thought well that's just you know that is completely not my experience as a as a white middle class woman and I can't believe that you've written this character like this because it's you know I I don't think that this kind of jarring sense of cultural approbation reapprobation and racial reapprobation and things that people argue about is is true and I think actually it is a form of censorship. It's like saying, well, and actually I think it's very um, derogatory to people who are people of colour or people who are LGBT or whatever to say, you're only capable of writing about people like you mm-hmm. as well. Like, it goes both ways, doesn't it? And to what you said about you've never read anything, you thought a oh, woman wouldn't say that, and, and ditto for, for me um, with men. But um, I, I just think, I think, I feel like gender is an interesting... Uh, dichotomy to bring into it because I feel like I've got a lot more com- in common with a middle class white woman in living in Oxford today, say, if there's a book, yeah. if there's a novel that, than I have about a man from you know 1800 living in Vietnam or whatever, just like just picking things out, yeah. out of out of the air. Um, it, it seems odd to to draw the line down that. It does. I mean, gender isn't all that we are. Exactly. Um, and having said. Basically, having dismissed this this issue, I think it's still an interesting one to discuss, and we should talk about examples we've read um, where people have done it and how it and how it has come across. Um, do you have any before I sort of launch into some? <laughs> um, well, the most prominent example I can think of is probably the Gilead book, mm. um, where the John Ames is the main character and it's written by Marilyn Robinson about this preacher um, John Ames who's in his 70s and is dying and you know I just think it's the most we, we talk we managed to shoehorn this because <laughs> we both love it so much Basically, um, every episode <laughs> every episode is there and you know it's an absolutely beautiful book and it is mainly um, about men and it's I mean I don't know whether men read it and think oh this isn't realistic but for me it's a beautiful book and I thought it was wonderful that she did write it about a man and it's all about the relationship between fathers and sons obviously it's a Christian it's you know got a Christian thread through it so it's echoing the relationship between God and us it would be a very different book if Marilyn Robinson had been like oh do you know what I can't really I don't really want to do a man like I don't feel I should I'm going to write it about a woman because it is about the relationship of a father very specifically to a son and I think that is a very different dynamic to a mother to a daughter for example yeah and I mean we've talked about it many as I say many times and I think it is a, a brilliant depiction of a voice and, comp- and I can't imagine anyone getting inside the head of a character um, better than she does in that book and it is a first person narrator mm. um, and uh, whilst the other two in that trilogy are third person narrators she similarly gets inside the mind of John Broughton and um, Lila in the yeah. third book um, she can just do everything, but, yeah. <laughs> basically. But I think um, the other things, other ones that I wrote, and I couldn't actually think of all that many. I'm sure there are loads and loads. We'd love to hear what people suggest. But um, I thought of the Mrs. Harris series by Paul Gallico. Oh yes. Um, where it's not the first person narrator, but he really sort of it's all about Mrs. Harris. Um, I wrote down Miss Hargraves and then realised that actually it's a first person male narrator. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> had to mention it. Um, another thing about Virginia Woolf, with you know, is there is there any significant difference in terms of how well she's understood a voice between Jacob's room and Mrs. Dalloway? 
I don't think I don't so. Think there is. And I know that Jacob is sort of, you'll talk about Jacob as well as we seeing things from Jacob's position, but there's certainly a lot of things from Jacob's position. And of course in Orlando, she did both in one book. <laughs> so, and it didn't, certainly didn't feel to me that it w- was tonally different halfway through because she'd started writing about a woman, or when Orlando turns into a woman, in case people don't know what happens. Um, lives, yeah, Orlando lives for 400, 400 years and turns from a man into a woman halfway through. But, um, yeah, I think I think that that on its on its own is a, is a good example of how possible it is <laughs> um, yeah. to do it. I think um, I'm just trying to think of examples. I, I I can think of there's wonderful books by women about women. So, for example, um, the E.M. Delafield's Provincial Lady series, which mm. I know you love as well. And I, I do wonder whether a man would have been able to capture the minutiae of, of a woman's life and all of the things women think about on a daily basis, perhaps as well as as she does. But, you know, I've, I've never read a book where a man tries, so I don't know if it would be possible or <laughs> yeah. not. Well, the nearest, perhaps, I, I've just finished reading Ian and Felicity by Dennis McHale, um, oh. that, which I talked about on the podcast a while ago, but I sort of I put it down because I tweet other things. Um, and that one, he goes, again, it's all third person, but he goes in into Ian's mind and Felicity's mind talking about um, she doesn't talk much about Ian's work, but about but you know Ian's life and Felicity's life as um, a housewife. So um, I don't, again, I don't know what it was like to be a housewife in the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties, whenever it was. Um, any more than I've learned from books, but um, <laughs> uh, but certainly it, it felt. Well, actually, to me, it felt rather more convincing when he was writing about the woman, because when he's writing from Ian's perspective, it, he sort of made Ian. The, Seemed to loathe every moment he spent with his children, <laughs> which I hope wasn't true of most fathers <laughs> at any point. <laughs> but, um, but who knows? Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I think. I don't, well, this is just a supposition. Maybe have there been more attempts for, for female authors to write about men than vice versa I, over time? I, maybe I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it were the case. Um. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I suppose, on balance, certainly nowadays, there are more female writers than, than male writers. Uh, though, though that is certainly not what you would get if you read reviews in the press, seeing as most <laughs> of the reviews are of male, of male written novels quite, rather than yes. female. Um, but I think certainly in the past, when most published writers were male, you would have a lot of female characters written by men. And I'm just thinking of some Victorian writers now. So I, I think Charles Dickens writes women terribly. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and, but I don't think he writes particularly anyone very well. So uh, <laughs> He's not, every- yeah, I think for someone who's often thought of as a social realist, none of his novels even attempt to be realist. So no. yeah, that's They're not what he's trying to do. Really, yeah. um, I think Anthony Trollope does women very well. Um, he's a very sensitive writer and he gets everyone very realistic and he gives everyone a very much a sense of, um, you can kind of really feel that he understands what their preoccupations are going to be based, but not just based upon their gender, but also based upon their social position, which is obviously very much determined by gender as well in many cases. Um, Does he have novels where the woman or the female character or characters that are most prominent? Can You Forgive Her is there's a very prominent female character. Um, and I'm thinking maybe the Eustace Diamonds as well, but I haven't read enough to be able to 
Sure, to give yeah. a definitive answer on that one. The thing I've only read The Warden and Barchester Towers, and it certainly, particularly in The Warden, a really beautiful um, understanding of character in Septimus Harding, but um, but the women are more sort of minor characters in that book, of those books. Yeah, and I wonder if it's interesting, actually, because when you think about certainly Victorian fi- fiction, when men are writing women, they're writing them as minor characters. Um, and I suppose that's very much how they were viewed, as minor characters in life because they weren't politicians they weren't doing um they weren't fighting wars they weren't doing anything that was changing the world certainly from a male perspective so they're very much in the background it's interesting because i as i say we had the you know clarissa pamela all those um Mm -hmm. early ones and i'm trying to think i can't think of many examples of men having women as the main characters later in in the victorian period um well other than well, Benjamin Disraeli's most famous yeah, book was I called. I was just about to say that, Civil, yeah. Civil, yes. um, and, but women did. So George Eliot wrote Adam Bede, mm. Charlotte Bronte wrote The Professor, and Shirley's a man, actually, isn't he? I feel like I've... No, Shirley's a, no, a woman. She is. I, I thought I'd not read it. I thought that she was a woman, and then someone told me that I was wrong, but... No, it's, but she's no, definitely a woman. I have actually read it, so My yeah. first instincts were right on that one. <laughs> um, I did think it was a weird name for a man. I, I took it on trust from whoever told me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you know, Elizabeth Gaskell wrote about women, um, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I can't think of, uh, I'm sure there are, hundred, I'm sure there will turn out to be lots, so people please let us know. But um, yeah, it does seem to be more of a 20th century thing that, that men started writing about. Oh, I was just science. thinking Vanity Fair. Oh, very good point, of course. Mm. Yes. Um, which is a very good book. Um, so, well, yeah. Oh, actually, just, this is not at all related to that, but I want to say before I forget, I had a really interesting experience while I was reading um, The Girl with Glass Feet a few years ago by Ali Shaw. Do you mm. know that one? I've heard of it, but I've not read it. It's really enjoyable. Uh, enjoyable. I should have um, read more books by Ali Shaw, which I'm carefully avoiding saying he or she because I started the book and got halfway through thinking Ali Shaw was a woman and oh. then discovered that Ali Shaw was a man. And it was interesting how it, sort of changed my perspective a bit. And I, sort of in an um, intangible way, I guess, I couldn't quite put my finger on what, what the difference was. But I don't know, maybe it felt... I mean, it's about a woman who's slowly turning into glass, so it's not exactly... <laughs> it's not, you know, stark realism. But um, it felt maybe more distant, perhaps. But that was more from my what I brought to the table as a reader rather than what he was doing as a writer clearly because I hadn't noticed it before that point yeah it's really interesting actually you say that because I wonder whether you know we would even need to have this conversation if books weren't published with names Um, and mm. pictures of of authors and biographies like if we came to them blind would we even would it even come into our consciousness to think well hang on a minute how, how does this person know about you know, what it was like in 19th century China or, you know, something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Would you ask those questions or would you just take the book at face value and, and think that that person was writing from experience? I don't think you would. I think there is a certain element of us expecting and allowing for imagination, isn't there? Yeah, really good point. Um, I remember V.S. Naipaul a few years ago, um, or maybe quite a few years ago, um, said that he could tell that any book was written by a woman within a, the first page or something and he, his implication was... In fact, possibly very overt implication was that women weren't good writers, but that's <laughs> obviously nonsense. And and I don't think I'd be able to tell whether a book was written by a man or a woman if I read the whole thing most of the time. 
No, and I think um, I've I've actually had this quite a lot when certainly when I was younger, and I would just pick up books, and uh, when it's just the initials given, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. know who it was by. Uh, certainly, because older books don't tend to have the information, and I thought um, L. P. Hartley was a woman when I first oh, read sure, Baby. Yeah. Um, and when I found out it was by a man, I was just like, wow, I didn't. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect that because I thought that it would be by a woman because stereotypically it's quite a sensitive novel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, and I didn't expect a man to be able to write that. But obviously now I'm older and more um, uh, open minded, perhaps uh, I would I would not necessarily have that expectation. But it is interesting how we have we come to everything with gender expectations. Women will write about more sensitive, more romantic things. Men will write about um, more practical things. They won't be as emotional, etc. But these things just aren't true anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't think they ever really needed to be true. I think it's just, you know... No, our perceptions. Perceptions and what publishers accept and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, um, so it's quite, yeah, it is a very difficult decision to actually make since I'm basically saying that I don't think this should be this dividing line. Um, no. But you know, we have sworn in our TL books code of honor, which you know I've not I'm not emailed you yet, but I'll send you later to sign um, <laughs> to, to pick one of them. So I'm just I'm just going to pick women writing men based on very little, but the fact that perhaps I don't know why not. <laughs> I prefer women writing men as well because I think when women write men, they tend to make them more of a main character, whereas when men write women certainly in the types of novels I read which are older novels I'm not saying it's present day I tend to find that they're very periphery characters and I and I find that frustrating sometimes true I, w- I think I'll say that whilst I think it can be perfectly well done by this, I think there are probably worse culprits in men writing women um, yes. over time than there have been the other way around yes quite <laughs> yes. thank you very much Casey for suggesting it it was yeah. a really interesting topic and we'd love to know well, your thoughts and anyone else's thoughts. Yes. Um, someone whose thoughts are going to be very hard to stem, I think, I, I, um, is Rachel, <laughs> when we turn to our next section. <laughs> um, so I suggested we do um, Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont by Elizabeth Taylor and At the Jerusalem by Paul Bailey. Um, we did do an Elizabeth Taylor episode quite early on, but I think this, that was when we were being very sort of gung-ho and devoting episode like episodes to two authors in, in their entirety until we realized we were running out so now we're revisiting specific <laughs> books by those authors which is probably a good way to to cover yeah. cover the same ground again <laughs> um i suggested these and i couldn't remember why i thought they were connected until i went back and reread mrs powerfit the claremont now and rediscovered that paul bailey had written the introduction to the brago paperback oh um, really yeah and indeed he talks about that the jerusalem in the opening line of it um, Plucked his own book. Well, may I just read to you from the beginning of it? Yeah, please do. Um, he says, I have to begin this appreciation of Elizabeth Taylor's penultimate novel on a personal note. I was working as assistant in Harrods when my first book, At the Jerusalem, was published in 1967. A year after publication, I met Elizabeth Taylor at a party. She told me how intrigued she had been that a man in his late 20s should have chosen a home for old women as a setting for a novel. And she had gone to Harrods magazine department to see what such a curious creature looked like. So there you go. Um, Mrs. Parfait at Claremont was published a few years after um, At the Jerusalem, and you will note that the male character in that is a young man in his 20s who works in Harrods. So there is the connection. That's really interesting. Yes, there is a suggestion, unconfirmed, that um, that Paul Bailey found his way into, at least in some form, this novel. 
Well. So before we talk more about them, would you like to um, give us an introduction to Mrs. Palfrey and I'll do the same for out of Jerusalem? Yes. Well, I mean, I have to confess, I haven't had a chance to reread it, but um, I do remember it quite vividly. So um, Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont is about a woman called Mrs. Claremont. Um, sorry, Mrs. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> Mrs. Palfrey, I don't know why I said that, um, who is basically forced to move into a an old people's home but it's not really an old people's home as we would know it it's a kind of uh it's a, a hotel really isn't it? it's, a, it's a hotel people are there um there's no sort of nursing care or anything like that um it's just when you have to leave your home for whatever reason you go and live there and you get all your meals given to you and all the rest of it um so it's on just off the Cromwell Road it's near Gloucester Road and um it's a very dingy sort of place and um there's a kind of it's interesting because all of the people who live there are very eccentric and in, in their own ways and they live in the heart of london still but so many of them never really go out anymore or experience life um and mrs palfrey initially finds this quite quite depressing um and then she um bumps into one day she goes out she bumps into this guy called ludo um and he she's quite embarrassed mrs palfrey because she keeps talking about her grandson coming to visit and he never turns up so she kind of pretends that ludo is her grandson has him visit and um they kind of build this friendship um and it's their friendship and what happens when obviously that friendship needs to come at some point come to an end um that's that the book is centered around and also the experience of suddenly finding yourself um alone and at the edge of other people's lives so it's yeah i found it a really moving book great thank you um so at the jerusalem is sort of similar it's about a woman called faith gadney um normally called mrs gadney in it who has is moved into um an old people's home and it's much more of an old people's home than the claremont is they all share a ward um unless they can afford one of the private rooms um so she's sort of slightly bewildered. She's moving in there. She's been living with her stepson, uh, Henry, and his wife, Thelma, shortly before that. Um, but Thelma has decided that she can't cope with her being there and so asked her to leave. Um, she's moved in. Again, quite a cast of eccentric characters. There's one particularly Mrs. Capes, who's determined to be her friend and is always telling stories that Mrs. Ganley largely ignores. Um, Mrs. Ganley largely ignores everyone. In fact, she's very <laughs> monosyllabic. Um, the book's in several sections. The first one, we sort of see her appear turning up at this this home and there's lots of conversations amongst the the uh, people there um the second one we go back to seeing what it was like at henry and thelma's when she lived there um and getting with her sort of step-grandchildren i guess um and it's a much more lucid prose then it's sort of mirroring that she, that was a time when she was more lucid herself because she's um starting to lose her faculties a bit both physical and mental and then the third section goes back to the home um, and it gets less lucid still it's the sort of um, disintegration of Mrs. Gadney, I guess. Um, I thought it was a brilliant book, <laughs> but <laughs> I know that Rachel didn't. So, Rachel, how far did you get? <laughs> I got to about the halfway point, I think. Had you and got then... back to Thelma's house yet? <laughs> yes, I had yes. been. I, would, I got to, to there. I just, you know what, I found it very difficult to read in the sense that it's it's very dialogue heavy. Um, and I do struggle with dialogue heavy books, especially where you're not quite sure who's speaking. And I thought as I was reading, I was like, Simon's going to love this because it's just like <laughs> Ivy Compton Burnett and he loves her. So and I hated her, Ivy Comp Compton Burnett when I read her. Um, and also, 
I just didn't find the characters realistic or the whole setup realistic. I, when I realized that they were in this um, kind of dormitory and they all had to sleep and had no privacy, I just thought, surely that would never have happened. And the things they were talking about, I was like, maybe it did, I don't know, but I just found it uncomfortable. Well, I think it did happen because I think, again, just based on novels, but Memento Mori by um, Muriel Spark, I think is a similar setup. They're all sharing this, this ward in old people's home. Oh God, how hideous! I mean, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> particularly, I mean, in this one, there's there's one woman who is shouting a lot throughout the night. There's various women who, I mean, there's a lot. Of, most of them need to you, you use the bathroom in the night, but can't get as far as the bathroom. That's not fun on a shared ward. No. Um, so, I'm I am surprised that you hated it as much as you as you did because I can understand what you say when it's like I've been There is a lot of dialogue, and I did find it a bit hard to work out quite who was who but I sort of I didn't really mind <laughs> I, I worked out how important people were <laughs> and I quite liked how it gave me that feeling of slight confusion and slight alienation from the setting because that seemed to mirror what Mrs. Gadney was feeling um, mm. I didn't think I didn't I didn't find it as quirky as um, Ivy Cotter novels which again as you say I love but <laughs> by a, a different kettle of fish to me um, I did, yeah, even reading it after I knew that you'd given up and hated it, <laughs> um, I was like, Rachel will love this. Oh no, wait, she won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well done for getting as far as you did before you gave up, I guess. Did you, did you feel any different in part two? Did you notice any difference? No, and I, you know what I struggled with as well was the fact that I couldn't get a hold on who Mrs. Gadney was or had, you know, had been. And, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't empathise with her or feel that I, I cared about her because I couldn't really get a hold on who she was. And she just seemed very antisocial and uneducated and just a kind of a non-entity. And so I, I didn't want to find out more about her and I didn't care what happened to her. Okay, because she does have this really interesting past of having lived in Myanmar for, um, for most of her life or a long period of her life, but she isn't really touched on. Um, I did find her quite antisocial and rude, but I found that quite interesting, I guess. <laughs> it was, um, I guess I found it interesting that what, how much I saw of her, considering she said almost nothing. Often she just stood in silence whilst people tried to get her to engage in things. Yeah. Um, so I can understand what you mean. She's not, she's certainly not a nice character. And, so, and in, she's nothing like Mrs. Palfrey in terms of empathy. Like Mrs. Palfrey is an extremely, you feel, you feel extremely empathetic for Mrs. Palfrey whilst you're reading Elizabeth Taylor's novel. Yeah. Um, but I was, yeah, I was surprised by how much I cared about Miss Gandhi considering the, the little we, we knew of her or saw of her. Yeah. Um, let's do one Mrs. Palfrey for it before we come back. Um, or before we keep going with that one. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's a brilliant book. I really, really like it. And I really like, um, it's very funny as well as very sad. I, I love any book that can be both those things. Um, I think Miss Murphy is a wonderful character because she is very nice, but also is is quite no nonsense as well. She's not going to, she's not sort of simperingly nice as, as I can't remember the name of the other character. There's a character in there who's just jolly and lovely and slightly anxious, and um, she's not that. She's she's wise, but um, yeah, I, I did. Um, you just really warmed her, didn't you? Yeah, you do. And I think that sense of her, you get a real sense of the person that she had been and then the life that she lives now. And that it was, I found it 
very moving and also quite disturbing as a book because you know she was a perfectly ordinary person with a husband and children and a life and everything else and then everything's just shrunk down to nothing and even she has ended up here alone and she never expected that and it's because often when you think about people who end up in old people's homes and don't ever have anyone to visit them you think oh well you know maybe they had a very secluded life or you know maybe they made choices that meant that mm-hmm. nobody ever wants to see them or they've kind of been become alienated from the family but she hasn't she's nothing that she did wrong there's nothing unusual about her and it's that sense of complete powerlessness about what happens to you when you become old and also how nobody like her grandson keeps saying yeah yeah I'll visit and he doesn't and it's like you're you're just not of interest to anyone anymore he is weirdly appalling like if we're oh. talking about people I can't. I don't know how old Elizabeth Taylor was when she wrote this, but she seems that's one of the characters I found less convincing. And that I don't. She seems to think, oh, he's a young person, young man. He, he must be terrible. I yeah. don't know. He's just he's bizarrely unfeeling. Like even if you don't have I'm particularly close to your grandparents, if they ask you to go and visit them and they live quite close, then surely you'd go, and you wouldn't just be openly rude to their face about it. I don't know. Oh, well. But I mean, there is, uh, th- but there is an element of that, I suppose, about how people do just become like, oh, it's a, ch- it becomes a chore to come and see you, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's painful, isn't it? And I can sort of, I can even understand because I think Thelma and Henry are similar in at the Jerusalem. It is a chore for them, but they put on the, they put on a front when they're going to visit. Mm. The first we see of them in in that book is them turning up. You don't quite know who they are because you haven't established how they're related to her. Yeah. They're, very, they're very bright and cheerful and you can see it's fake but it seems more realistic that if it were a burden you'd go as seldom as you had to um, yeah. but, and you'd pretend that everything was fine and they're very like, oh you're enjoying it here aren't you Mrs. Gadney etc um, whereas he just sort of turns up and like, oh I had to come mum said <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that did seem sad but you know Ludo I like how she writes him because you see both sides of him. He's not this sort of un, unusually sort of delightful person who's thrilled that this old lady's in his life. He's interested in her because he's writing the book, but he's also quite, you know, touched by her. And yes, the title of his book um, is based off something that she said. And I can't remember now if it is it they aren't allowed today there or we aren't allowed today there or here or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. We aren't allowed today here. Maybe something she says because as you say, they're not at the end of their life in this place. If they do look like they're going to be, they're shipped out to a different, to a nursing home or something. They're not, it wouldn't do the hotel's reputation any good if people started dying there. Um, and he's writing this novel based off that line, she says, and he's a bit anxious about whether or not she'll find out that he's written about her and that sort of thing. So I think it's quite sweet how that relationship builds between them. It seems quite um, plausible. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's just a very, I felt it was much more of a human book. Yeah, I think certainly she's trying to do something very different to what he's trying to do. Mm. Um, I would argue that they both succeed really well at doing what they're trying to do. It just depends what you want to read. Because <laughs> um, maybe Bailey's looking, I think they're both looking at the bleakness of it in some ways. He does it more in a sort of spiky, sparse way. Um Whereas maybe Taylor's doing it through showing the real humans who are stuck in that sort of situation. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, I'm going to say this, even though I've just said that I don't like it when people do this, but I wonder if, if there is a gender thing in there. 
Well, I wouldn't. I wonder, um, because I mean, because I say I think it's quite. I think they're both quite sensitively done in different ways, um, and I think considering Paul was Paul Bailey was in his twenties and wrote it, it shows a really, to me, extremely good like understanding of old age. To me, who's not <laughs> in my old yeah. age, I could equally be wrong, but um, but it's certainly not writing a book about how old people are inconveniences and non-entities as one might expect a young person to write a book about old people. No. Um, he's more pointing out that they, yeah, that they are, they're both sort of highlighting the, the, the bleakness of a situation um, with, and I guess, yeah, he, he, they do both write about women and Hind and Taylor has more, psychology in, in her book than Bailey has. Yeah. So perhaps that's connected. I, I think it's um yeah, I mean I I think that there is a real I felt to me, like with Paul Bailey, that that he was really shying away from the interiority of it. It was very much an observer. He felt like an observer looking in from the outside and and he was kind of wanting to show I found it he was like trying to be witty and to poke fun at the whole situation. I mean, maybe it's just the way I read really? it. I, yeah, I just, I just felt very strongly negative about it from the very first page, and it's quite rare for me to have that reaction to a book, actually. I think because I definitely don't think he was poking fun of it. I, I think, I think he was extre- extremely clever in the way he uses cross dialogue. So there's, the scenes, or as you say, you can't quite work out. Well, actually, you probably, I found I could work out who was saying what, as long as I yeah, concentrated. Yeah, pretty once hard. I got into it, I recognised yeah. what this is. And you get scenes where there's like three, say, conversations happening at once, and people are often just using one where there's one where I, I, I made a note of where someone is trying to show someone else her wedding pictures, and she's not interested, and she's talking to yeah. someone else about something else. And these are coming in, and all she's saying is that the woman with the wedding pictures, Mrs. Capes, is saying like the age she was, or how handsome she thinks her husband is and to me there's there is quite a level of psychology and having said he doesn't go into depth i don't think it is in depth i think there's quite a level there of um of you have to read a lot more into it into mm. how these people are feeling and how they're you know putting on this show of talking about their past people who aren't interested um and it's done in these very simple simple lines but i f- i felt there was great depth and great sort of understanding there but equally, I can see how you'd read it as just sort of a, a witty com- or attempt to be a witty conversation. So perhaps with Paul Bailey, it's more about what you, what the reader want, how the reader wants to interpret it. I think it's a lot more open to interpretation, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, yeah, there's a lot that's not said. It's a much slimmer novel, obviously, as well. So it doesn't have as much space for character development. I think there's a lot of interesting observations in there and the characters are certainly interesting and individual but um i just i didn't feel like i understood them well enough to to know where they were coming from or you know i would have appreciated understanding a bit more about the women's past lives and why they'd ended up there mm-hmm. and i just felt there were too many questions that weren't answered and there wasn't enough information given to allow me to fill in the gap myself and I think, yeah, I think you're definitely right. There's not a lot of past lives, except when they try and drag it out. And to me, again, <laughs> that felt maybe deliberate to show that these people have been forgotten by society and their, their attempts to, like, drag up their past. <laughs> well, there's, there's a scene, actually, where I, did, I think it probably happened after you 
you start reading where um, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Gurney rips up all her old photographs and everything. Yes, no, I did read that part. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I did. And I think, you know, that absolutely there is a lot of that in there. The sense of the way it's written is obviously very clever and the way it's structured and it does have the effect of being disorienting and they are literally being rubbed out. Their, their past is no longer of interest. Mm-hmm. But to me, as much as I could sort of stand back from it, and if I was asked to analyse it, then fine, but I want to read it and enjoy it and I just didn't sure, feel... Yeah. It, was, it was I felt cold, just a cold book. Yeah, that's fair. Um, talking about gender, let's talk about the the one man in the <laughs> in the hotel in Mrs. Palfrey and the Clermont. Um, whose name I can't remember. Can you remember his no, name? I can't remember his name either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm furiously skimming. Um, anyway, there's there's one man there who um is constantly <laughs> trying to talk to any any man he can find. He's certainly not particularly looking for for, for women to chat to. He wants to talk no. to Antonio the waiter. How come I can remember the the waiter's name? <laughs> <laughs> um, was sort of the hotel manager. One thing I did find bizarre is that Ms. that um, Elizabeth Taylor seems to think that all men want to do is tell dirty stories to each other. Yeah, <laughs> that was bizarre. But perhaps that's, that's just the character rather than what she thinks of men, because the other men certainly don't want to hear the dirty stories. No. <laughs> um, and then yeah, interesting things has developed between him and Mrs. Palfrey. <laughs> Yes, it is very interesting. And it's interesting that, you know, he's still shown as, as very much a kind of, I suppose, a bloke in a sense. Yeah, like yeah. He hasn't changed. Whereas as the women also, the women are shown to kind of have lost their interest really in the outside world. Like they don't want to go outside anymore. They don't mm. want, like they just go to the shops and they come back again. It's like the outside world has become a frightening place for them. Hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a mix of them being, yeah, as you say, like, aggrieved that they're there, but also not particularly wanting to leave. Mm. Um, Whereas he very much does. Yeah, yeah. And um, he definitely feels the most lost about it, anyone. I say, actually, yeah. quite a lot of them seem quite lost. So, um, yeah. It is, yeah. It's, um, it is a really good cast character. Taylor always writes great characters. Um, and you certainly see a lot more of them and... It's interesting in both books actually where they talk about their marriages. It's more again more surface in at the Jerusalem, but um, there's a, a scene in in this is probably the Claremont where t- one of them is describing their marriage to the other, and the other one says, "Well, my marriage is perfect, of course." And the other one says, "Well, mine was perfect too." So, um, <laughs> it is this, yeah, um, you know, uh, a an interesting setup. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it's. I think it's. I just found it such a profoundly sad book, and I think there's a lot of truth in it as well, which is, you know, horrible to think about, really. Yeah. Um, well, l- let's come to our decision making. Yeah. <laughs> which one are you going to choose, Rachel? Oh, obviously. <laughs> this is perfect, the Claremont. I mean, I don't know, maybe well, I can't go back and read it, the other one, because uh, I left it in the holiday cottage, I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> if you are on holiday in Northumberland renting an Airbnb cottage and you do find a copy of um, At the Jerusalem, then that will be where I stayed. And I hope people <laughs> enjoy it more than I did. Um, but, you know, perhaps if I read it again from a different perspective, I suppose the thing is I went into it expecting it to be like Mrs. Parfrey at the Claremont, and it wasn't. So... Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's an interesting sort of lesson that you can write about these sorts of things and it could be extremely different. And a Memento Mori, extremely different book again. So, um, that's one, one takeaway. Um, yeah. I was really hoping that I'd pick 
at the Jerusalem after you hated it because I loved it, but I still think Mrs. Parfit the Claremont is better, so I'm going to start with the pick of that because her writing is so good, and I think particularly in in this one, um, maybe I think just the way she crafts sentences and uh, and paragraphs is is exemplary. Whereas Bailey's not trying to be a great prose stylist in this book, as you say, it's mostly dialogue. I think his writing yeah. is very good, but but he does. I'm I'm interested to see what his other books are like as well. I've, I've, I don't even know what they're called or or however many. He wrote, or even if he's still alive, potentially, because he was so young when he wrote this. But, um, <laughs> Paul, if you're listening, phone in. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I love them both, but I am going to have to also pick Mrs. Parfit the Claremont. So there you go. Great. I'm glad to agree. Yes. Uh, but yeah, please, anyone listening who's tempted, do, do read some Paul Bailey and let us know what you think. Yes. Um, in the next episode, um, I don't know what we're doing for the first half, but we do have a nice spreadsheet full of suggestions because I did, I did, I found, I hope most of the suggestions that people have made and put them in a spreadsheet, <laughs> which, um, which I emailed to you, Rachel, if you want to take a look. <laughs> <laughs> I did look at it, Simon. I did yes. that. <laughs> Actually, no, I do know what we're doing the next time, aren't we? But I'm not going to say because, um, it depends on our special guest that we're hopefully going to have. Okay. I don't want to say that just yet. I will say what the books we're doing, because we'll do those either way. We're going to do um, Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery versus Daddy Longlegs by Jean Webster. Mm-hmm. Orphan fic, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> <laughs> you said that in such a cheerful voice. <laughs> yeah, we've done we've done the old and alone. Now we're going to go to the you know the orphans. <laughs> so, <laughs> next week, widows. No, um, so <laughs> that's something to look forward to. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to cut my losses and say thanks for listening. All the books and authors that we've talked about are available in a list at stuckinabook.com. Um, and yeah, any suggestions for future episodes, always very gratefully received. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.